It's so funny. We practiced even before the service. It wasn't doing anything like that. And as I start, so it's going to be a good one this morning. Um, I hope you've got your Bibles with you. We're going to open to John 15. And uh, just whilst you're getting there, what a privilege it is to be a part of going to the nations as a church through Joe. Um, many people here support her. We want to say thank you. We are trusting God for more finances for her. She's got lots of open doors for ministry. And so if you feel stirred to find out more and get behind it, you might not be able to go, but you can pray and you can give. And uh, let's get behind what God is doing in the nations because he's doing a lot. Um, so my message today is entitled, What is God Doing in 2024? How many of you would like to know? Interesting year ahead, eh? I, I think about like eight countries, mass, maybe even more, having elections, our own's coming up. And um, as, I, as I have conversations with you around a cup of coffee or often in spa or one of these places we tend to meet, I can see we all are subconsciously grappling with, with what is going on in this world at the moment because it does feel like globally it's very restless, right? I'm not sure what 2025 this time of year is going to look like. And um, I have been wondering, like, Lord, for us as a church, how do we relate to what is happening in the world personally? Because we are not immune to it, right? And uh, God is doing something. And, uh, and I want to make a case this morning that he wants to do something in you that is very precious, and he's determined to do it. And I hope by the end of today, you will feel so encouraged and comforted, but also determined to flow with what he is wanting to do in your life this year and beyond. I uh, was reading at the start of, of, of the new year through the Gospel of John, what a beautiful book it's been. And I got to John 15, and I felt the Lord say, this is the text I want you to preach on. And I was like, Lord, really? I mean, this is so not original, you know? If you know it so well, I am the vine, you are the branches. I have actually preached this before a number of years ago. But as I was reading it, it came from a very different angle to me. And uh, for the first time, I saw it in a way that I hadn't quite seen before. And I thought, well, this is for us. But I'll, I thought so. I wasn't sure. And then Neville uh, Chan, he shared a word on the 31st. Could I just ask all the shakers, won't you kindly put them into the box? Uh, all the kiddies who have a little shaker, you can either go through to the, well, the, the live stream or to um, pop it in the box nearby. Thank you very much. Um, so where was I? Yes. Neville Chan shared a word. And his word was this. He had a picture for the new year where um, it was himself and Jesus in the garden, and he wanted us to put ourselves in the garden in place of him. And uh, this garden represented our relationship with Jesus. And he felt the Lord say, not into him, but to us as a church, we are to focus on our walk with Christ this year as the most important thing. And it's like tending a garden. And as I was thinking about this message he shared that. And so let's read together what I believe is on God's heart for us today on John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I know this is a very familiar text, but I want to just unpack three points it today, and I want to remind you where this comes in the story of Jesus. It's his last night with his disciples. He's, he's just told them he's going to die again, and he institutes the Lord's Supper, and they are distressed. They're saying, Jesus, you're going to leave us? I mean, we don't have very many friends out there in the city. They want to kill us, and it was a time of great difficulty for the disciples, and that's why he begins with John 14, where he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I am not going to leave you alone. And church today, that is his message to you as a follower of Jesus. You are not alone. He has caused his Holy Spirit, imagine that, the member of the Godhead, to reside in you. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And he says, it's better that I go away because, you know, in my finite body, I couldn't be all things to you that you needed, but in my resurrected body where I get to ask the Father to send the Spirit, I cannot, I mean, I'll be more than just being around your, your dinner table. I'll be in your hearts. I'll be speaking to you in your minds. It says in John 14, the Father and the Son will come and make their home in you. I mean, church, isn't there anything more glorious than that? Can there be? No, that the fact that Jesus himself says to these disciples, this Holy Spirit is going to make me more real to you than you've ever experienced before. And uh, he's, he's very uh, determined to show in these chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 of John, that when he gets to John 15, he's talking to people who believed in him only as Lord and Savior. Judas is not there. He's not talking to anybody in John 15 that doesn't yet believe in him. Judas has left. Um, at the foot washing, I won't go into all that detail. But, but this John 15 comes after uh, John 14 and the talking of the Holy Spirit. And we can miss what John 15 means for you and me as human beings. Is when Jesus says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. What he is explaining is how close Jesus is wanting to be to his people. It is as close and the union is as, as, as inseparable as a, a, a branch and a vine. And, and when I read that in the light of John 14 and the Holy Spirit, something inside of me was just excited. Seeing that the union that Christ wants with you and me is not distant, it's not transactional, it's not merely functional. Yes, it's meant to be fruitful, but it is such a union he's longing uh, to share with us that he would talk about this vine and the branches. And what I want to lean into at the end of today's talk is how the Father in heaven is after that connection growing more than anything else in your life. And he's willing to use all sorts of means to get you closer to Jesus. And he's willing to change circumstances. He's willing to come at you today through his word. He's willing to come at you through different people. He is so determined to make you closer to Christ that today, friends, the fundamental answer of what God is doing in the world and how you relate to it actually can be answered 
in this wonderful John 15 of that he is wanting you through all situations and seasons to come closer and closer and closer to Christ. Can I just say, the kingdom of God is not about church. It's helpful. The kingdom of God is not about uh, dedicating your baby. It's helpful. It's not even about baptism. It's helpful. It's not even about rote prayers. It might be helpful. Friends, the purpose of our existence as a church is the person of Christ. I'll say it again. The reason why you are living and breathing this morning is for Jesus. And the Father is so wise. He knows the closer you learn to draw to Christ, the more fruit begins to flow in your life. And what he is after is fundamentally what he designed you and me for in the Garden of Eden. That day when he made Adam and Eve, they were to be image bearers in this world of the God who made them. It's much bigger than what job you got to do, guys. He cares about that. It's much bigger than what marks your kids are going to get this year. He, he cares about that. You know what your ultimate reason for breathing and existing is? is to be an image bearer of the God who made you. And God wants to get his glory from your life. And the way he does it is by making you fall more and more in love with Jesus and his words. Because uh, Jesus says very clearly today, apart from me, you can do nothing. So my first point today is Jesus is our source of spiritual energy and strength. And I want you to feel encouraged, but also I want you to feel focused this year, church. There's been a lot of noise, but underpinning all of that is this call of the Father this morning for you to give yourself to Jesus in ways that you have not yet done before, and that he's backing every step you take towards making Christ your price. In John 15, verse 1 and 4 to 5, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And look at what he says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, when I read that again, you might have heard it before, but I want to ask you, is this your reality? When Jesus says, I am the true vine, it means that there are other vines on offer, not so. And it's such a great time at the start of the year to ask, what vine am I looking to to find life from this year? Because what my soul ultimately needs is connection to Christ. Just as a branch is connected to the vine, what I need to spiritually, even at the center of my being, in my humanity to survive and thrive, is a connection with Christ. But I want to maybe put forward to you this morning other vines that you and I tend to run after at this present time. There are more, but it wasn't easy to think about some of them. And maybe you can just give me a nod if any of these ring true for you. When he says there are other vines on offer, Jesus is saying that our souls, whether we like it or not, are hungry for a sense of security, satisfaction, and significance. And we have vines in the form of smartphones, right? Anybody recognize these? And uh, man, don't they offer great escapism, but when you switch off the phone, you're still facing the same problem you went to run away to your phone from, right? What about social media? I mean, it's so wonderful to see everybody's news, but it's generally only the highlights. Nobody puts on social media all the failures of their parenting, unless you want to monetize that and become an influencer. That seems to be very popular. How about the numbing drug of endless entertainment in the form of series and YouTube videos? 
How about those online games that make you build little farms and towns and makes you think you, you're getting ahead in life. But when you switch off the phone, you've spent money on something that doesn't exist in real life. Anybody experience those? How about uh, the temporary escapism of recreational activities or the false promise of work and endless measuring of our productivity? You go into uh, the App Store or into Google Play and you try and find apps to help you be more productive. You'll find them, 50 million of them, and all of them in the end never have the to-do list that's done. Or how about today, some of you are fretful because of an inability to find security in money. Cost of living is going up. Or maybe you're putting your security in your money. Or even the failure of materialism. You know, when I look at my beautiful kids, Sarah turns eight today, and she had a party yesterday. She's had Christmas. She's had a party yesterday. She's had presents this morning. Do you think that kid is satisfied? Heck no. Mama, Nana's presents coming around the corner. She's ne she never has enough. She never says to Elijah, I've got 20 stuffed toys. Here, you have one. doesn't do that. Nor do we. And none of these things are evil in and of themselves. Can I just say, they each have their place. We do wonderful ministry on these phones. We do all sorts of things. We can experience wonderful art through entertainment. But the point is, I need to ask you this morning, what are you looking for instead of getting it from Christ? What are you running to for your sense of security and satisfaction and ultimate sense of significance? Friends, what, what Jesus is saying here is not just glossed over. What he's saying here is, our souls need contact with Christ like our lungs need oxygen. Our tummy needs food. And our kidneys need water. What we need is Christ for our souls to survive and to thrive. But the problem that we face is that we are coming to a source in Jesus that we can't taste or feel or physically touch, right? It's so much easier to go to this thing and go, oh, when I can hold you, you tell me what I want to see. You, when I hold you, I can decide how I want to spend my time. But when we come to Jesus, he's, he's not there in the flesh. It is an act of faith that we are coming to by the help of the Spirit. But I want to point out to you today, and, and perhaps this is a good exercise to do when you get home. Haven't you noticed in your life, Christian, that when you take the time to stay in contact with Christ, you are a nicer person. Hey, Marina knows when things are going well, even in my weakness with Christ, by the simple act of me drawing near to him, not just in my quality time, which doesn't happen perfectly every day, but I will tell you this, when I intentionally bring myself into a conscious awareness of needing the presence and the awareness of Jesus around me. I am a different person, and I have tried to live any other way, but I promise you it doesn't work. Anybody found that in their life this morning? And, you know, I have been following Jesus for a few years now, and I'm amazed how slow I can be 
to sit with all this angst and upsetness and fear of the future and all of these things that can tend to creep into our hearts for days. And a simple time in the presence of Jesus, reminding myself of the promises of his word and his love for me, changes what I couldn't fix through my phone, through my, my, my newsreels, through, through my, my socializing. It comes from this wonderful sense of Christ is near to me. Can I just get a simple amen? And, and you know, the humility of this message is, it is simple in its essence, but we are slow or forgetful at times in its practice. And do you want, do you want to know what Christian maturity really is this morning? Is somebody that has learned where to stay in their lives, a position a refuge in Christ. And come what may, they might get a little bit hurt or flustered, but in essence, this abiding is this determination to simply stay where their salvation has put them in the sufficiency and nearness and leadership of Jesus. It's wonderful. And I have got two more points. I, I, I want to just refresh us this morning. My second point is how to live off Jesus, the true vine. Uh, I want to be helpful this morning for us to make a, perhaps a return or strengthen our desire to walk with Jesus this year. How do you do that? How do you draw from the vine? And there are five simple things I want to remind you that when you do them, you gain access to the joy of drawing from Jesus. The first is this, is you trust him. And you trust not only his character, but you believe his very words. In John 15, verse 4 to 5, Jesus says, you abide in me, abide in me, and I in you. What he's saying is, is you simply carry on living the way that you got saved. And today, the simple start, perhaps for some hearts here today, instead of trying to put your hope in government, in your spouse, in your pension, today, your, your need to say to Jesus is, Jesus, I trust you. Because the second that you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, when you saw him as Lord and Savior, you saw his death on the cross, you saw your sin, the way that you gained access to the life he's talking about in John 15 was the first time that you said, Jesus, I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. Can you nod your heads? And Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 is, as you receive Christ Jesus, so you continue walking in him. Friends, when you adopt daily, doesn't matter how you feel, doesn't even matter your performance. When you adopt daily the decision to say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you, not according to what I see, not what people are saying, but today as my Savior and my Lord, I trust you. Friends, when you start to take on that posture, the Spirit starts to minister Christ to you. And it's not just trusting him because you trust him. You trust him because you know his character and you trust his very words. Jesus said in this text later, no, no greater love that any friend demonstrates than by laying his life down. Can I just remind you, does your spouse love you as much as Jesus? No. Your closest friend, do they love you as much as Jesus? No. Have they died for you? Have they bled for you? Have they sought you when you didn't want anything to do with them? Friends, this Jesus commands our trust because no one has demonstrated 
your love for us like he has. And when you come under the shelter of his love, when he says in, 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 in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. When you come under his character, friends, there is oxygen to trust him because you know that this Jesus that is calling you to continue to walk by faith and not by sight is the very Jesus who bled and died for you. I read a profound thing this week. They said, you will only trust God to the measure that you believe his love for you. And he's given you mighty promises, Christian. And his character is not just love, it's faithfulness to keep them. I must move on. So it's not just trusting him that you begin to draw from him day by day, but it's to seek fellowship with him. In other words, you talk to him. When you got saved, you got saved by receiving a person. Someone stepped inside your life. That's how radical it was. Jesus that you were outside of his kingdom, you were in the kingdom of darkness. When you got saved, your new birth introduced the presence of God into your very being. Isn't that incredible? I think it is. And the fact that you begin to walk with Jesus, whether you are aware of it or not, but in reality, he is residing in you. Friends, nobody can be closer to you than that. Does anybody know every thought you think? He does. Does anybody know what you feel like you really do? He does. And friends, one of the, the marks of you growing in your relationship with Jesus is to learn to talk to him about everything and anything. You know, my mom used to do this. <laughs> she would wake up in early morning, and she wouldn't know, but she would be making breakfast because she'd get up really early, and she would be talking to the Lord. And I remember thinking to myself as a young boy, young in, in the faith, saying, this lady, from the moment she rises, is actively enjoying this relationship with Jesus till she goes to sleep. And I thought, I want to be like that. And, you know, you look at these saints. You look at these saints like George Muller, who had such faith to feed thousands of orphans. You look at Hudson Taylor, who goes to, to, to China. You look at... You look at um, Joni Erickson Tata that, that goes off to Hong Kong to minister to drug addicts. You think, wow, these guys have amazing faith. When you read their story, what you realize they have practiced in their life is a friendship with Christ. So that when they're going to dark places, they know they're not going alone. Christ is with them. When they're faced with the lack of what is in front of them, they know they're not without any help. Christ is in them. Friends, today, if you want to know Christ as your best friend, which John 15 is calling for, is you talk to him all the time. And do you want to know how the Old Testament puts forward backsliding in the life of faith? If you read Hosea, you know what backsliding in the life of the Old Testament is? Broken conversation with God. And today, can I say, when you wake up in the morning, you wake up with the ear of heaven listening. And when you come and pray in Jesus, the delight of your Father and the Son that are residing in you by the Spirit is quickened. And you get to enjoy communion with the King of kings and Lord of lords. Could there be nothing greater than being his closest friend? Friends, that is the dignity you got saved into. Make much of it this year. 
Well, the other way is you maintain a soft, reachable heart to God. You know, this is the sweetness that I see in so many of you. Some of you have been struck with cancer, lost children, all sorts of things. And I watch how your response to God is tender, even though it is painful. Can I say, when you came to faith, Christian, God took out of you a heart of stone and he put in you a heart of flesh. Won't you guard that with your very life? You know what it means to have a heart of flesh? It means that you are reachable. You are open to however God wants to touch you. When you get hard, it means that God is off limits. And friends, sometimes we are tempted, and you might be in that place this morning of saying, God, you have disappointed me. You have let me down. There are things that creep in that make us hard towards God. Can I ask you to let go of that this morning and hold into a heart of flesh? Proverbs is wise, but it says, above all else, guard your heart and mind. Ah, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You with me? There is a resistance that can creep in towards Jesus this morning in the human heart. Attend to it. The fourth is you maintain a dependence on him. You know, coming to faith is leaning on Jesus' righteousness alone. You forsook everything about yourself, not so in that moment that you could depend on. Don't let it change. I could say more. I'm going to move on. And finally, before I move to my last point, you must expect Jesus to speak back to you. And when he does, you do what he says. And when I say he speaks to you, friends, I mean the general communication of God in your life. Give me a nod if you've experienced this. I, I don't always find God's inner voice very clear or very regular. And maybe there's something wrong with me. I'm just being honest with you. But I have realized if I am attentive, God gets at my life in very creative ways. I find as I open up my Bible, there's the scripture. As I'm talking to my wife, she shares something, and I feel that's from the Lord. As I come to you on a Sunday, someone shares a word like this morning. Someone pray. Jesus has a way of reaching you. And friends, our job is to become experts of identifying when he is speaking and then to simply do it. Jesus said this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And friends, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And that voice can come at you through various creative ways in your life. But the joy of what is before you in 2024 is learning the voice of your master and to do it with greater determination. And Jesus says at the end of this, this, this section of John 15, if we will do these things, his joy will be complete in us. And so I land on my final point today. What God the Father is doing in 2024. I've shared that previous point just to whet your appetite a bit this year. But this is what I really want us to land on and leave with in our hearts as we go into this next year. When I read John 15, I always emphasized the vine and the branches, right? But as I read it this time, I felt the Father say, don't forget the gardener. And, and as a Christian, I am so comforted that my walk with Jesus is not just up to me, but that there is a gardener in my life called the Father who is actively working with his hands 
to prune and to shape my life and yours in such a way that we are driven towards this beautiful person of Jesus. And I just want to speak comfort and courage to you today. The vine is a highly cultivated plant. You know, have you, how many of you have seen a, a vine recently hanging on a, on a piece of wire, right? Yeah? Anybody got them in their garden? Bryce does, yeah. It's quite a weak little thing. And in actual fact, I don't see, I've, I've never seen a vine in the wild. They must have got it from somewhere. But a vine is a plant that is highly cultivated by a gardener. And the gardener's number, please take comfort, but also take courage in this. The gardener's number one role in that vine's life is to ensure the health of the branches, right? Because if it's healthy, it bears lots of fruits. And I, I'm aware that some of you are asking the question I do. God, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing in our nation? What are you doing in our family? What are you doing in the church or the nations? Maybe this morning you are going through something in your life and you are asking God, God, what on earth are you doing? Or why are you allowing this thing to happen in my life? And I felt like the, the Father wanted to give comfort to those that are wrestling this morning with things that are not going in the direction that they've wanted. God's been slow. God seemed to be miserly in his provision or absent. Maybe there is health. Maybe there are all sorts of things that are keeping you up at night. And you're going, God, what are you doing? And why are you allowing this to happen? And friends, I know that in that question, we might be demanding details from God. Thank God. I want to know this and this and this and this and this. Or where to go, what to do. But I felt like the Lord wanted to go one step further back from a bigger picture and comfort you this morning, church, with what his revealed will is 100% of the time. And that is no matter what is blowing into your life, when it passes through the hand, and it does, of the sovereign God, it is driving you towards Christ. And the right reaction to, to this work of God, the Father, in our life is to flow with it. And that might mean this morning you having to say yes to Jesus and drawing close to him without having certain things answered. But when you decide to do that, even in the midst of your angst and uncertainty about the future or the present, friends, you are flowing with the will of God for your life. You can make a start there. And, and some of us are praying, what is your will for me this year, Lord? What do you want me to do? And, and I feel the Lord wants to say to you this morning through John 15, oh, I'm so glad you asked. It's to stay close to Christ. And how does a gardener Help us do so. 
the vine dresser. How does he do so? And I, I want to bring some more comfort here. The way that, that a gardener does this is he carefully plants the vine in optimal soil with optimal climate and optimal slope. If you look at how a vineyard is planted, it is done with such care, right? Right? And I just felt the Lord wanted to encourage you this morning. Some of you are here saying, God, I'm still in the same place, 2024, and I wish I could move. And I just sense the Lord wants to say to you this morning, I make sure the vine is in the right place for it to flourish. You trust me. I also sense some of you have landed in East London or maybe landed in a new job or not without any job. And you're going, God, how did I land here? This can't be the right place for me. Maybe South Africa. This can't be the right place for me. Everybody else seems to be leaving. Man, surely, God, you've got the placement of this part of your vine wrong. Can I say to you, if you've taken that request to God and God has kept you right where you are, you're in the best place to grow in Jesus. So it's not just careful placements. He oversees the pruning. And I, I wish it wasn't there, but it's there. If you look at John 15, verse 1 to 2, it says, Every branch in me, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. What's Jesus saying? Everybody, prepare yourself, it's coming. There are two kinds of pruning. One is when the branch is totally taken away because it is totally dead. And I won't go into all of that, but commentators say that means two kinds of people. The one is a professing Christian but never really was because they put their faith in the, the rituals of religion, not in faith and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Their religion was about outward form and inner rote not about vital faith and dependency in the saving righteousness of Jesus alone. But there's the other kind that commentators say, they are those Christians that neglect the vine. Moves on to talk about being cast into the fire and burn. It means that there was no fruitfulness in their lives. It's 1 Corinthians 3.15. It's being saved, but through fire. We don't want to be any of those. It takes a long time to get to that state, but the way you get there is to go, well, I'm just not going to value this glorious, gracious salvation that Jesus has given me. I don't want to focus on that today, although it is a wake-up call for those that are not certain they're in Christ. But I want to talk about the fruitful branches. I wish Jesus didn't say that those branches that bear fruit get pruned as well. But he did. And I love what Bruce Milne says. He says, God often cuts deeper than what we would have chosen, Right? I'll tell you a quick story. We had a brilliant gardener called Stanley, the only guy that could literally work by never bending his knees. I've never seen hamstrings like that in my life before. And every time spring or summer would come around, we had these bushes, and my dad would say, Stanley, please would you cut that bush? And I knew what was going to happen. When my mom got home, she would cry. Because she would get home and say, my bush, it's gone. You told, I told you, Peter, just cut this little bit off and this little bit off. And he's chopped it right down to the very main, main root. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, that looks so ugly. But I kid you not. 
the deepest pruning produced the healthiest bushes. And that bush was pretty ugly to start with. It was that brown one. Do you remember by the, by the, by the patio? I don't know. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking when it grew back, this is beautiful. And, and Bruce Milne goes on to say, it is commonplace both of horticulture and Christian experience that the harder the pruning, the greater the fragrance and beauty which will later be released. I also felt comfort for people that are in deep, deep pruning. And God has a way of doing it through circumstance, through health, through finances, through relationships, even through spiritual trial. Friends, when the pruning goes deeper, I just felt the Lord wanted to say to you this year, it will bear the best fruit. And we look back on our lives of brokenness and times of desperation, and we look back and we say, God, actually in those times you brought forth the best work. But I feel the Lord saying to us this this morning as a church for this year, brace yourself for his work. And uh, I, I close with the third and final way that the gardener ensures the health of the branches. It's training the vine. Bryce was telling me he planted a vine, I think it was a year or so ago, and it's growing beautifully, but he has to guide it, you know, along the either the pole or, forgive my gardening uh, ignorance, trellis. <laughs> yes. But do you know how they do it? You've got to bend the branch. And it's not that the vine is willing to do it, it's that in the hand, it's not cutting, it's bending. And uh, I just, again, was struck by how this can happen in our lives. And for some of us, this might be you. Michael Eaton says, when God acts in our lives to cut out something that ought not to be there, or to forcefully shape our lives in a way that pleases him and will be best for the plans he has for us. That's training. When God acts in our lives to forcefully shape us so that we, we walk in ways that please him, we will ultimately learn to bless him. But perhaps that's you. Maybe you've been forced to come back to South Africa. Maybe you've been forced to change jobs. Maybe you've been forced on a path which you had no choice in. Friends, would you trust the, the gardener today? That he's working. Sterling, you are in good hands. You're in a gardener, good hands of a gardener who knows what he's doing. He knows how to get you there. But what he asks from you is to flow with him. Is to flow with him. Even in the pruning. Even in the training. Even in the planting and the placing. Would you flow with what he wants to do? Which is to draw closer and closer to Christ. As one of your elders this morning, unless we do this church, we will bear no fruit. And I know God is backing us this morning to be a church to a world that desperately needs to taste and see him. He's backing a church that is in love with Jesus. That when we come here, we want one person. That when we're flailing, we're trusting one rock, Jesus Christ. That when we're seeking wisdom, we're looking to his words. That when he speaks, we trust him. This is the kind of church that the Father is backing in all his various creative ways 
but he's wanting us to be a church that says yes to our thoughts. We want it, and we're willing to flow with it. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Father, I pray that out of everything that's been said today, that you would kindle in us the wonder at Jesus wanting to live close with us. Lord, those in the Old Testament longed to see what we get to enjoy this morning. And I pray the treasure of what we carry, which is your very person and presence by the Spirit, would be treated with great honor. You're such a merciful God. Father, when we grow out of shape, you're so faithful to cut us into the right shape. Lord, when we we go off on our own tangent, Lord, you are so graciously able to train us back onto Christ. But Lord, what you require is not an obstinate people, but a people soft and supple like that vine that's alive saying, yes, Lord, train me, teach me, grow me. Draw me closer, more and more, through your Spirit, to Christ. I pray this morning that conversation with you would be a wonder afresh, Lord, that that people would just fall in love talking to you about everything and anything. I pray, Lord, that we would dignify you with our trust this year. The, the, The God who bled and died for us, I pray this morning that we would trust you. And that Jesus, this year would be a year of fruitfulness for the glory of the Father. That the image of Christ would grow in us, Lord. That when the world sees us, they'd catch a glimpse of this God of glory that dwells in the midst of his people. That we see many come to faith this year. That we would see a world perplexed, but drawn in by the grace of God, we pray. In your precious, beautiful, wonderful name, all God's people said, amen.